evening. evening. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Generally speaking, if you have the power to create the entire universe, you would have to be God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning, not a beginning, God, that's a reference to Jehovah Elohim in Hebrew, God the Son, created the word bara, the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word bara, to which we add an H to so that people won't say bara, is the bara from which bara ministries comes, meaning to speak something into existence from nothing. The Lord, God the Son, the Creator, spoke the heavens and the earth into existence by the word of His power. He is indeed God. God the Father's promised Jewish Messiah is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God as the Creator, God the Son, and 100% man as Jesus, the Christ, in one person forever. Jesus Christ is God. Your eternal future is based on a single decision you make concerning whether or not you want to have a relationship with him. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, which is the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of Christians as well, for those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word. Why do we study the Word of God? We study the Bible to allow God's truth to shape our reality. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. We study the Bible to allow God's truth to shape our reality. I did my best study this week combing the New Testament for evidence of several things proposed by the world. I looked to see if social distancing is a biblical idea. I looked to see if a virus is going to end the human race. I looked to see if a mask is a deterrent for the spread of infection. I looked to see if the forfeiting of pleasurable things like gathering together for sporting events makes us safer, healthier, and more spiritual. And uh, for the masses, their reality is shaped through education from a corrupt media complex that disseminates misinformation that causes fear, anxiety, and hopelessness. The Word of God encourages us to reject these deceptions. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world by Satan by his cosmic system of thought and by the flesh resident in you. And instead, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind. And the way you renew your mind is through the study of the Word of God. And you do that so that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is. And the will of God is that which is good for you and that which is acceptable to him and that which is perfect in result. Did you know that your reality is always being shaped by something you choose to use to shape your reality? 
Did you know that? Your reality is always being shaped by the things that you choose to shape your reality. Is it the Word of God? Is it the absolute truth? Or is it the world? Because those are the two choices. God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this, Now judgment is upon the world, and now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned by the Lord Jesus Christ at a future time. Satan wants us to be hopeless. He wants us to resign ourselves to the thought that we have no power, that we have no choice, that we cannot change, that change is hard to impossible, and that there's nothing we can do. And we are more than willing to engage in that thought because we think it's in our best interest to think like that because we think that that's going to get us out of work somehow. And we want to play all the time and work not at all. But playing all the time is harder than working some of the time. And so, you know, that's why Satan wants us nowhere near the Word of God, because the Word of God encourages us to do different things than that. And uh, it's described in the Bible this way in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God and Father of hope, and hope is absolute confidence, may the God and Father of absolute confidence fill you with all joy and all peace, in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And what is the power of God the Holy Spirit? It's divine omnipotence. And do you know how hard it is for a Christian to reject divine omnipotence, to run their own human power existence, and then the, the result of their lives is the fruit of their lives. And you can clearly see that they're rejecting the power that God has in store for them. You can see it. You can see it reflected in, reflected in everything about their mentality, everything about their countenance, everything about the things that they bring into their experience. Well, we know that God has a life plan for us that is beyond our wildest dreams. Is that the life you're living? Because Satan has no power over us except the power our choice to disobey God through sinning gives him. Otherwise, he has no power. And if you don't believe it, read Job chapter 1 and 2, where he's complaining about the fact that he can't just have his way with believers because God has a wall of fire, a hedge around them, a hedge of protection. So there's no need for a Christian to be hopeless. Tonight's Bible lesson. God's many gifts give us hope. God's many gifts give us hope. We love taking Bible verses out of context. And one of the Bible verses that is taken frequently out of context is this one, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. If we read this verse in context, what we learn is that the Lord used Jeremiah to communicate a message of hope to Jewish exiles who are being held captive in Babylon for 70 years. And these favored ones of God were reminded that God does not forget his people, even when they are being oppressed by a government, much like the one that's going on in the United States today. Well, in this lesson, 
as we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1. We'll learn the gifts God gives that are designed to inspire us to have absolute confidence in Him. And that absolute confidence is called hope. Well, let's hear some music. God doesn't just give us hope. He actually commands us that we experience His hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, Therefore, believers in Christ, keep on preparing your minds for action. Keep on being sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is a command. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, Danny Gokey encourages us in song to keep on looking at life with spiritual eyes. In his song, Hope in Front of Me. I've been running through rain that I thought would never end. Trying to make it on faith in a struggle against the wind. I've seen the dark in the broken places. Oh, but I know in my soul, no matter how bad it gets, I'll be alright.
us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us hope, absolute confidence in you and in what you can accomplish with our lives. Thank you for discouraging us from placing any confidence in ourselves. Thank you for all the gifts you give us to make it obvious how much you love us. Encourage us to have compassion for the world. Give us the courage to share the gospel message with unbelievers so that they can be saved. And help us to remember to invite our fellow believers to study your word, which helps them get to know your son. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, God's many gifts give us hope. God's many gifts give us hope. As we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians, we'll see the Apostle Paul unfolding a treasure before our eyes that surfaces hidden gems all over the Bible. Studying this letter in depth will be like a journey into the mountains to mine for gold. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 introduces the author of the letter. There's so much depth in these two verses. Listen to it. A letter from Paul. An apostle of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the announcement that Paul has a spiritual gift and he is a person who should be listened to. By spiritual gift, an apostle, by means of the will of God the Father himself, that God personally chose Paul to do this. Paul did not select this as something that he wanted to do any more than I selected this as something I wanted to do. That's the way that it'll go down. Oh, yeah, I was uh, one day I wanted to teach my kids at the dining room table face to face. And then the next thing you know, there was this thing, Barah Ministries. And then 23 years later, it's this church. That wasn't me that selected that. It was God selecting me for that, as we'll see as we mine the gold that is in these verses. So a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, by spiritual gift, an apostle, by means of the will of God the Father himself. With Timothy, our brother, God always gives us people who walk the journey with us because he doesn't want us to do anything alone. And Timothy is Paul's protege, a timid guy who was raised by women, who is Paul's co-worker and perhaps co-author of this letter, Colossians 1-2. A letter to the saints, those who are believers in Christ, and a letter to the holy and faithful brethren in union with Christ who are at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So, in the first nine lessons of our study, the overview, we've learned many things about the Apostle Paul. By the way, I went back over those nine lessons and read them again, and one of the things I did is I pulled out all of the information that was an answer to the ten questions in the first lesson, and I consolidated it, and it was over 30 pages of information. And so 30 pages of information is a a lot of information, all of which has been dripped into your heads if you're listening, if you're receiving, uh, one bite at a time. And so in the first nine lessons of the study, the overview, we've learned many things about the Apostle Paul. Here are the few, the few of the things that we know. He is called both Paul, the Roman name, and Saul, his given name. 
He is from Tarsus, a historic city in south-central Turkey in the, reason, in the region of Cilicia. He lived to the age of 63 years, so he died a young man. He was a Jew. He had impeccable human credentials. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee, well-versed in the Mosaic law. He was studied in Hebrew because he was Hebrew. He was a student of Greek culture. He was fluent in Koine Greek, both reading and writing it. He was every bit a human, as we learned in Romans chapter 7. The things I'm doing, I don't understand. I'm not doing the things that I want to do. I'm actually doing the things. I'm actually practicing the things that I actually don't want to do. And he is the worst person of all time, describing himself as the least of all the saints. The Lord Jesus Christ knocked Paul off his high horse on the Damascus Road. There are a lot of us in this life who are riding on a high horse. We think that we're all that. We think that because we have money and fame and, and human praise, because we are social media uh, influencers and gurus, that we're somehow special. But all of us, no matter what we're doing in this life, are going to be fertilizer for daffodils one day. And so all that stuff that we think is important isn't necessarily important. I was on a trip this weekend with, with uh, a lot of very wealthy donors uh, of a university that, that I am uh, familiar with. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear people talk about all the things they have and all the money that they have. But the funny thing is, all of us who are on that trip are getting old. People who are donors are people who are getting on in their life, and they have money, and they'd rather not give it to the government. They'd rather, you know, we certainly want to give our fair share to the government, but we'd rather give it to some purpose that we think is valuable. And that's what philanthropy is. It's love of man. And a lot of the people who I was with are lovers of athletes and are looking to help athletes who are in various capacities through our contributions. But it was really interesting to hear all the, uh, the people talk about all the things that they have, but also to see the empty look in their eyes when they're talking about it because they know what I know, that one day we're going to be fertilizer for daffodils. And when we are, we're not going to be able to take any of that stuff with us. It's not going to mean a thing. And about five minutes after we're gone, nobody's going to even remember that we were here. And the world is going to keep on going. I remember when my mom died, and I, I remember a moment where I was just sitting, looking at the traffic going by. And I was thinking that all these people are going on with their lives, and they don't even know that my mom is dead. And not only that, they don't care that my mom is dead, because they didn't know her. And if they did know her, they still wouldn't care that she was dead. But I cared. I cared enough to go up into my office and, and cry my guts out and feel like I wanted to throw up my lungs. But she was gone. And I know where she is. And that's very comforting to know that she is absent from the body that she was in here, which is long gone, and face to face with the Lord. And I wonder what that's like. And I wonder what she's thinking. And I wonder what she's feeling. But I know this, she isn't worried about the 70,000 bucks that she left here that my brother stole 
the inheritance that he stole from the rest of his siblings. I know that she's not thinking about that or worried about it in any way. So um, all of us, at a point in our lives, get knocked off our high horse. And the Lord Jesus Christ knocked Paul off his high horse on the Damascus Road. And after four years of personal training by the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament, 13 letters. And if not half in volume, these letters were certainly more than half in importance. And Paul is the hand-picked choice of the Lord Jesus Christ to write the mystery doctrine of the church age, yet he was the worst person of all time. And when he writes it that he is the worst person of all time, that was inspired by God the Holy Spirit for him to write that so that it is the absolute truth. It was not... Paul being self-effacing. So as we, yeah, and here, here's something for all of you who play the victim role in life. Because you know a lot of people who play the victim role in life. You can play the hero role or the villain role or the victim role. And all of you who play the victim role, when you start doing your little ballyhoo and crying about how horrible your life is and blah, 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 whine, 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 your life was nothing compared, you, the, 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 the lousiness of your life was nothing compared to what Paul went through before he became a Christian. He was genuinely the worst person of all time. He genuinely killed people on a regular basis, men, women, and children. He genuinely wanted to wipe out the Christian church. He was genuinely a monster. And so if you think that you're that bad, you aren't. Yet he, he allowed God to turn his life around. And he became the greatest believer of all time. So all you whiners out there, all you little victim people out there who can con human beings about what a big victim you are, you, can, you don't con God. And I would love to see you sit in front of God and try to con him about how hard you have it and how rough your life is and how you can't change. It's a bunch of bull. And, you know, at some point you need to get off it and get on with your miserable life because God has plans for your miserable life just yet like he had plans for Paul's miserable life. And the older you are, the more plans he has for your miserable life because there's not much time for you here. So you need to get on with it and let him do his thing because he's never failed. So, as we begin our in-depth study of Paul's letter to the Colossians, verse by verse, we'll learn much more about him. For example, God allowed Paul to visit his home in the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10 say this, Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I, Paul, will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. The Corinthians resented Paul. And so we studied 1 Corinthians, and we saw that Paul called them on all of their lousy stuff. Well, they resented him, so his second letter was telling him why he had the, the chops to be able to do that, how God had put him in a position to be able to do that to help him. And so they, they would say to him, anytime he would say anything, they would call him out as a boaster. And he'd say, well, boasting is necessary, although it's not profitable, but I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I, Paul, know a man in union with Christ, 
who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, whether I was alive or dead, I don't know. God knows. But such a man, and Paul is talking about himself, was caught up, raptured, seized by force. Harpazo is the Greek word. That's what the rapture is. It is the exit resurrection of the church where we will be seized by force by God and we will meet him in the air. Such a man was caught up, seized by force, and taken to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And I, Paul, know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, again, I don't know, God knows. 2 Corinthians 12, 4, was raptured into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. If you think that you can imagine what heaven is like, Paul just told you you can't. It's exceeding and abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or think. He heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. And on behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. In other words, a guy who's been to the third heaven when you haven't can boast, but I'm not going to. What I'm going to do is tell you about my weaknesses, 2 Corinthians 12.6. For if, for the sake of argument, I do wish to boast, I'm not going to be foolish about it. And really, I wouldn't be boasting because I'm speaking the truth. But I, I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. That's one of the things I'm always encouraging people to do. People get all enamored with my voice and they think it's me doing the talking. And they think it's me with the charisma. This is God the Holy Spirit with the charisma. I have simply allowed God the Holy Spirit to speak through me. To speak through me in a written lesson. To speak with me, through me with my mouth. And I know that if my preparation for lessons was being evaluated, lately it's been lousy. But every time I get up here... And I think I have a lousy lesson. God, the Holy Spirit, comes through every single time to bring a lesson that's exceeding and abundantly beyond anything I could ever ask or think. And I'm impressed with what he's able to do constantly, every single week. So that's what Paul is talking about here. If, I, if for the sake of argument I wish to boast, I'm not going to be stupid about it. But I'm speaking the truth, so I'm not boasting and I refrain from boasting so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or more than he hears from me. It's not me doing the lessons. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, But because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the things I saw in the third heaven, the things I heard in the third heaven, the magnificence I experienced in the third heaven, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, because he would have been a monster, if, if, if he had been left unchecked, I was in the third heaven and you aren't, he'd have been a triclinium believer. He would have said, you're out in the atrium and I was in heaven. To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And whenever I've taught this to believers in Christ, they always want to know, what was the thorn in the flesh? What do you think it was? You know, was he gay? What was it? And it wasn't any of that. It's the same thorn in the flesh that you have. It's called the flesh. It's called the sin nature. It's called by a, by a lot of things. It's that thing 
which if you ever start thinking you're all that, it all, you can always call it back to that. You can always call it back to that. I was on, the, on this trip that I was telling you about, and one of the guys said, Sorori, do you have a girlfriend or a wife? And I said, I don't. And I had told him that I was a consultant in sales. And he said, well, what kind of salesperson are you if you can't get a girlfriend or a wife? You know, everybody, oh, 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 that's really funny. He says, well, do you have a boyfriend? All right. All right, old man. You know, you almost got hit. You don't even know. Was you, like, you don't know me. I'm in the hood. Like, I'd take out a knife and stab you right in that little part right there that hurts. It's not going to kill you, but it's going to hurt like hell. But it was actually, he, he wasn't being malicious. He was being funny, and it was funny. But, you know, it calls, it calls to mind my thorn in the flesh. Oh, I couldn't keep two marriages together. Oh, I'm divorced. Oh, I've got scars. So what? So what? What does Galatians 6.3 say? Galatians 6.3 says, if a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. How many men are out in the world deceiving themselves, thinking they're something when they're nothing? You know, they think that just because they have stuff, that that makes them special. That does not make you special. It does not. But you want to you, you know what makes a man a man when the man can say that everything that I have, I have because of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Everything I have, everything I am is because of his shaping of me, not because of anything that is special about me. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Concerning this thorn in the flesh, and again, you have it too, so you, to keep you from exalting yourself, because if you think you're all that, you're not. And every time you look at yourself in the mirror at 5.30 in the morning, you're a thorn in the flesh, lets you know that you're not all that, that you don't have it all together. And concerning this thorn in the flesh, I, Paul, implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. 2 Corinthians 12.9 And the Lord has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I, Paul, will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What is the power of Christ? Divine omnipotence. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Are you? With insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you okay with your weaknesses? Are you okay with insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties? For Christ's sake, because I'll tell you what, the better, you, <laughs> the better you're trying to be as a man, the better you're trying to be as a woman, the worse it is for you in the world. So why would you bother doing it? For Christ's sake. You think you can hurt me? You can't hurt me. My mom told me when I was a kid, one monkey don't stop no show. You may slow it down for a minute, but one monkey doesn't stop a show. You can't hurt me. You can't discourage me. Why? Because I'm content 
with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. One of the greatest gifts that God has given me is the gift to coach a young man through a very difficult part of his life. And this guy and I are very, very similarly structured human beings. And this guy is going to be one of the best human beings ever on this planet. And I can just see it in him. Because he's got so many wonderful characteristics. And it's so nice that I have a person like this in my life. My sons have refused to be that person in my life. You know, that's what what a father would like. A father would like to have a son like this guy who is willing to listen and to question and to benefit from the maturity that a father has through getting his ass kicked, through going through all these things, weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties. And this young man gives me the gift of honesty and the gift of sincerity, and the gift of genuineness, and the gift of emotion and grief as he goes through a very difficult portion of his life. And I am so fortunate to have him in my life because I get to see again the very things that I went through when I was a young man, when I was trying to slay my demons, and when I was trying to find out what it was like to become a good man. You know, what is a good man? A good man is, or what is a good woman? A good man or a good woman is what God turns us into. It's not anything that we've done. It's not any merit on our part. But these are the things, the things that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 12.10 are the things that make us the amazing men and the amazing women that we are. What are they? Weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. There are people in Barah Ministries who are the glue that hold the households that they're in, the businesses that they're in, together. But they're not respected or loved for it. They're beaten and persecuted. And they don't get the kudos that they deserve from humans. But every time God looks at them, God looks at them beaming with pride and pleasure that this person cares enough about, about the Lord to put himself through all this stuff. Because who in their right mind would want to put themselves through all of that stuff? There's only one reason you would do it for Christ's sake. So Paul says, for when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Well, I wonder this. I wonder if you ever think about what heaven is like. I wonder if you ever think about what heaven is like. Because if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to live there one day. And I wonder if you think about what it's like. And I know you do, because I've talked to a lot of you about it. I know you think about what heaven is like. Well, God discourages that practice. Because when we start speculating about God and heavenly things, we reduce the divine and supernatural to the human and natural. And we would never successfully imagine the uniqueness of God and his heaven. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6 say this, You shall not make for yourselves an idol. And that's what you do when you speculate. You make for yourselves an idol. Or any likeness of what's in heaven above, or what is on the earth beneath, or what's in the water underneath the earth. Exodus 20, 
Verse 5, you shall not worship idols or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. That is called an anthropomorphism. Jealousy is a sin. So we know that God is not a jealous God because he does not sin. So what is an anthropomorphism? An anthropomorphism is attributing God to God emotions that he does not have for the purpose of human understanding. He is not a jealous God, but you can understand what jealousy is like and you can understand what his feelings might be in the matter of you serving an idol. And what he cares about is that you don't make and serve idols because he doesn't want you to be hurt by worshiping something that is nothing. And he says what he'll do is visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Who are those who hate him? Unbelievers. Unbelievers have a rough path. Exodus 26. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my mandate in obedience. That's what he has in store for believers in Christ. Loving kindness, the Old Testament term for grace to those who love me, believers in Christ, and who keep my mandate in obedience. Here is a man, Paul, who understood one of the most important things in Christianity. It was not Paul who mattered, even though he did a lot of things that mattered. He knew that he didn't matter. It was what God was willing to do through Paul that mattered. And Paul was a gift from God to us, designed to give us hope. He is always giving us people who are designed to give us hope. And when we get people who are designed to give us hope, what do we do? We kill them. We kill them. We ruin relationships with them. And I've got, my life is littered with people who have done that. And what, what category do they come under? Insults, weaknesses, persecutions, difficulties. For what? For Christ's sake. Why did God give me the kids he gave me? Why did he give me the kids he gave me that give me the challenges that they give me as a father? That's perfection. He knew exactly what he was doing. Why did God give me the wives he gave me? Perfection. He knew exactly what he was doing. Why does God give you the people in your life that he gives you? It's perfection. Because he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how he's shaping you. And you may not think he knows what he's doing, but I'm telling you he does. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly who you're going to become. And he's watching you and loving everything that you're becoming every single minute of every day. And that's the truth. Paul was a gift from God to us, designed to give us hope. And here's why Paul gives us hope. Paul gives us hope because he is not special. So all of you phonies who think that there are these special people and then there's you, all of you phonies who have given up on your dreams, all of you phonies, who settle for less than your best. God shows you over and over and over again all these people in the Bible 
who were worse than you. And yet he made them into amazing human beings who did amazing things for the world. And if you sat down with all those people who did amazing things for the world, if you sat down with Paul today, if he was down here on earth and you sat down with him and you say, Paul, man, Paul, you, you wrote more than half of the New Testament, man. You are a baller. See, I, I did all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because the things I was doing, I didn't really understand because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. As a matter of fact, I was practicing the very things I hated. I'm not special. I kill people. Do you know what it's like to go to bed every night before you, your, your head hits the pillow, pillow, seeing the faces of all the people you killed? Do you know what that's like? So you want to credit something to me? There's nothing to credit to me. Do you know all the people I've hurt? There's nothing to credit to me. Nothing. There's you. And what God is doing with you, that's what you need to pay attention to. It's amazing. God always picks the worst people and puts them up front to encourage us. And if you have learned what comprises the worst in you, isn't it time for you to see what the best looks like? I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. If you have learned what comprises the worst in you, isn't it time for you to see what the best in you looks like? I mean, are you even willing to do that? Are you willing to go through the pressure and the feedback that it takes to know who you really are from this perspective, from people out here looking back at you? Because you can con yourself into thinking you're this wonderful person. you got 12 defense mechanisms that routinely keep you out of touch with reality. But who you really are is who other people see you as being. That's the true test. And that's pressure and feedback. Pressure and feedback will tell you all you want to know. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll see what other gifts God has given to give us hope. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite with all the never get it right but it turns out for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world stage fright and David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you changed the world well the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil 
start talking to me saying who do you think you are I say I'm just a nobody There it is. Today's Bible lesson, God's many gifts give us hope. 
God's many gifts give us hope. This week, I asked a friend if he thought Jesus ever thought about money. He said no. I completely agree. He made Judas Iscariot the treasurer knowing that Judas was going to betray him. So I don't think he really thought about money too much. What the Lord thought about most was giving. And as you think about giving today and every day, let your attitude reflect the Lord's attitude as communicated in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which says this, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's prepare to give as we welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Gotcha. Good evening. <laughs> they all said good morning. Good evening. My name is Denny Goodall, and I. Being a deacon for Bra Ministries is a gift from God. Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth of the Lord of God. This is also a place of hope. This is a place of positivity. This is a place where we're not going to echo what the world says. We're not going to echo the negativity. And we're not going to try to add on to the division that the world wants out there. We want to give you something to think about and something to to feel positive about. <clears throat> for, for instance, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. I think a lot of, a lot of us are weary right now, and it's really, really, really what the world wants is for us to give up. And that's not what we're going to do because of Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, other believers in Christ. So we know as Christians that our work does not get us to heaven. Work does not allow us for salvation. But our positive fruits could lead to somebody else's salvation. You know, there's a lot of people out there that just need a hug. They just need a pat on the back. They just need a smile. And it's really easy to go through life and not care about anybody, even ourselves sometimes. You know, you think about students from toddlers to teens to even adults. You know, toddlers, it's, that's real easy. They want to give up. My son, we're trying to teach him to tie a shoe. And he's so stubborn, he doesn't want to do it. And he's angry, and he's, we're taking an hour just to tie a shoe. And this is a life skill he's got to know, right? And he wants to give up. So don't give up, William. Amen. I don't know why I got teared up, but... Sometimes. But I also want to talk about teenagers, you know. It's really easy in, in high school to get stuck in the gossip and the cliques and want to give up and want to shelter yourself and be away from people and division. It's not what we're, that's not what we're meant to do, right? And then like as adults going through school, I can't imagine how that would be, being older and dealing with younger kids, the negativity that they would have and judging for you. You know, but you just got to keep going. The same as for parents. Just got to keep going. Sorry. Yep. But as for far as far as for parents, you know, we we've drawn in them, you know, manners and do your best and do do your do your work and 
we just think it's never going to work. They're not doing it. They're not listening. But one day, like we see here in Galatians 6, 6, 9, if we do not grow weary, we'll, we'll reap what we sow. And those little kids, they're going to be doing great. And <clears throat> Zach and uh, Elliot, I don't know about them, but you know, most kids, <laughs> most kids will do a lot better. But then, you know, let's just talk about the congregation. It's really easy to give up. It's really easy to see that the seat's not being filled and think, maybe this isn't going anywhere. and Maybe it's not going to happen. But that's not true because we have to just walk in the work that God already did for us. Just walk in it, you know. So thank you for always giving, um, especially to the household of faith and especially to our pastor. I always think about um, my dad. Sorry. When I think about pastor, because they're very similar, and I miss the shit out of my dad. And I wasn't going to talk about it, but I I consider pastor like my father. And I appreciate everything that he does, and I know the work he goes through, and... I appreciate everybody that gives to him and that defends him and prays for him. So thank you very much.
today's Bible lesson, God gives many gifts, and those gifts give us hope. God's many gifts give us hope. So I look forward to the day uh, when I get to talk to Deacon Denny's teenagers and to tell them what kind of man they have as a father. Because, you know, when you're a dad, you're never a hero at home. But if somebody on the outside says something about your dad, then it must be true. You know, it's just kind of funny. I, I remember taking one of my kids to the 40th reunion of the Chicago White Sox team that I was the bat boy for. And, you know, I've been telling them for years that I was a bat boy. And, it, you know, they, my kids didn't like baseball, so it, they didn't care. And then all of a sudden, when he goes to this reunion, he sees, wow, this is really a big deal. This is a major league baseball team, and my dad was associated with this team, and these people who are in the Hall of Fame actually know my dad. Wow, oh. You know, and then all of a sudden, I'm Mr. Credible because somebody on the outside says so. So there's going to be a day when I get to talk to your knucklehead kids and tell them who, who this amazing person was that raised them and how much admiration I have for you. Because, you know, whenever I think about quitting or, or just, you know, you always entertain the notion, like, you know, I just like to go away for three years and walk off into the sunset or something like that. You always think stuff like that. But I think about people like you, Denny, who uh, are encouraging to me and keep me coming here. And... You know, it, it, it puts me in a position to never want to quit. So I thank you for that. So we continue mining the gold in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, as the Apostle Paul expresses gratitude for a gift to the world from our Savior, which is the gospel message, the good news concerning an offer from the Lord to whosoever chooses to receive it. And that's one of the things that was heavy on my heart as I spent time in Utah this week. Uh, there are a lot of unbelievers in Utah, and it's, you know, you just feel a tremendous amount of compassion because you look in the eyes of these people, and they are real human beings. They are real people who mention Jesus Christ, but don't mention him as God. And he is God. And you feel a tremendous amount of compassion for them because what I would have if if I could do it, is I would have them uh, know the truth that would set them free. So, when we mine the goal of Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, we're going to take a closer inspection of this passage and see that it reveals a series of gifts. And I remember back in the first lesson I told you, when you were reading this first chapter, to just see if you could notice all the gifts that were mentioned in this chapter. So as we mine this, I want to share some of that with you. Listen for them now. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for all of you Colossian believers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus from Epaphras, founder of the church at Colossae, and since we heard of the unconditional love which all of you have for all the saints, Colossians 1.5, because of the hope laid up for all of you in heaven, of which hope all of you previously heard in the word of truth, 
the gospel, Colossians 1.6. We give thanks and pray for you because of the gospel which has come to you, just as it is coming in all the world also, the gospel message that keeps on bearing fruit and keeps on increasing. Even as the gospel message has been doing in all of you also, since the day all of you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Colossians 1.7 Just as all of you learned the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Colossians 1.8 And Epaphras also informed us of your unconditional love in the Spirit. The Greek words, in pneumati. Did you see the gifts? What gifts do you see in this section of the passage that give us hope? Here's the list, and it's a partial one. This is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, who purchased you personally from the slave market of sovereignty to sin. The Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who created you and who had you in mind a billion years ago by name, and will always have you in mind. He is an amazing gift. He is the gift of Savior. He is your Savior. He's the one who completed your salvation for you and will protect it and keep anyone from snatching you out of his hand. He is the sun, and he is as bright as the actual sun. He is a, a, the light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Another gift, union with Christ. At the moment of your salvation, you were placed into union with Christ by the baptism of the Spirit, and it is a union you cannot get out of. You have the gift of God the Father. And what does God the Father think of you? God the Father always sends you messages through the Bible of grace. He's telling you to live in the geodesic dome of grace, in the sphere of grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He reminds you that you have peace with him because Jesus Christ, through his work at the cross, tore down the enmity. He reconciled us to God the Father so that we could have a direct relationship with him. And that is a gift to you. You have the gift of God the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that peace means that God has nothing against you. You have the gift of God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is producing in you fruit, love, joy, peace toward yourself, patience, kindness, goodness toward others, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in your relationship with God. You have the gift of the Apostle Paul, who is a teacher, the worst person of all time, and you get to be taught the mystery doctrine of the church age by this teacher through all of the teachers of scripture all over the world. You get the gospel message, which is the good news that saved you from the bad news, that you were born physically alive and spiritually dead on the wrong side of a barrier, helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. You have faith in God, which is a gift. We have been saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You have hope in yourself. You have faith in God, but you have hope in yourself. And what is that? The absolute confidence that you have a future because you are a believer in Christ and that one day the completion of your salvation will be your glorification 
from salvation to sanctification to glorification where you will have a resurrection body that is an exact duplicate of the resurrection body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with all your personal scars on that resurrection body from all the weaknesses and insults and persecutions that you've gone through. You have the gift of love for others, that you can look at others and you can love them unconditionally and you can see all the things that they are and all the things that they are not and you can love them anyway and that you don't hold any of those things against them. But what you do instead is just enjoy the individuality of each person. One of my strengths, my number one strength in this life is called individualization. And that is seeing the unique goodness in other people. That is not a gift that was distributed equally. And what there is is a lot of people who look at people and who only see what they are not and who want to tell them that they ought to modify their lives to follow the journey that they think that person ought to to follow. People can't follow the journey that you think they ought to follow. They have to follow their uniqueness. And that's why we're around other people, because they bring a uniqueness to our lives, and they bring a uniqueness that is something and that is not something, and you get to look at and enjoy both of those. And I do. I like both of them, but what people don't like about me is I'll tell them both of those sides that I see, and they don't like that, but that's the strength of a person who's a coach. That's the strength of a person who's a catalyst. That's the strength of a person who's a consultant. That's what we do. That's the strength of a pastor. That's the stuff that's built into a pastor from God, that he tells people, why don't you look at this without judging them? Because judging people is a, there's a, I was talking to a young lady yesterday about the difference between discernment and judging. What's the difference between discerning and judging? Discerning is factual. You're acting like a jerk. A lot of times that's factual. Judging is feelings. I don't like what they're doing. They ought to do it differently. It's not our job to judge people. God doesn't even judge us until the end of our days because we're an unfinished product. I'm going to talk to a person who's 30 years old the same way I would talk to somebody who's 60 years old. You're never going to be able to do that. They're on a completely different place in the journey. And when you get 60 years old or 66 years old, I should say, you kind of forget what the journey was like at 30 years old. You, you, you glorify it. You think, oh, back then I was so wonderful. I was a moron at 30, <laughs> I was a moron at 30 years old. I hadn't slain a single demon of mine, not a single demon. I, when I was 33 years old, I remember I sat at the dinner table with my insurance man, and I was telling him all of my dreams and all of the things that I wanted to do. And he was laughing at me. And he said, well, (laughs) you're going to have to change your whole life to do all that stuff. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I know I'm going to have to change my life to do all that stuff, and I am going to change my life to do all that stuff. That's exactly what I want to do. I don't like the life course that I'm on, so I'm going to change everything to do that. And he laughed at me. Okay. 
All right, that's cool. You think it's funny. But one of these days, that's what's going to happen. Denny, I, I screwed something up up here. Come and help me. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can get back to it. Okay, I'm back to it. Never mind. So, yeah, so he could laugh at me if he wants to. But everything that I told him at that table came true and more. Every single thing. And that was a life beyond my wildest dreams that I had written down on paper and that I had handed over to the Lord. And I was a Roman Catholic at that time. I didn't even know who the Lord was. I, was, I believed in another Jesus. And he made all that stuff come true. So, what are the other gifts? Growth. Grow by means of grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Prayer. A chance to bring supernatural power into our natural experience. An inheritance. You are an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just a partial list, but all of that was contained in verses 3 to 8. And if you just go back and look at it, that's all there. And this thing in Numadi, in the Spirit, in Christo Jesus, in Christ Jesus, all these things, every single word of this passage is amazingly powerful. And I was thinking, how is it that we're... This study in four verses, we're going to blow through this like nothing. No, we're not. Every word is important. And, I, and it dawned on me today why. And it's because, first of all, when something is shorter, when you write something that's shorter, you have to spend more time on it. Paul had a lot of time. He was in jail. But the other thing is, Paul was farther along in the journey. He was farther along in the the Christian journey. He had already written Romans. He had already written 1 Corinthians. He had learned so much from that, just like we learned so much from studying it over the course of an 11-year period. And now, here we are in Colossians, and Colossians has tentacles all over the rest of the Bible. So, if I had just gone and pulled all of the verses that prove that list of gifts, which I will do for you, But to prove that list of gifts, it would have taken me another two hours or three or four because there's so much, so many places that talk about these things. And, And I love doing it to see the blank look on your face that tells me you could care less that God cares about you on that depth, the depth of that level. But one day it will hit you. And you know what? I understand why it doesn't hit you because if all of that If all of those gifts hit you at one time, you would be so emotionally debilitated that you would not be able to function. If you grasped it, how much God loves you and how petty some of the stuff that you engage in mentally is, you would would be in a shock that you would never get out of. You need more than a blanket. You know, because when you're shocked, you need a blanket. So where is it? Here it is. The little green box. I'm going to sit up here. The tape's never good on the little green box. But it's okay because the green box doesn't have to be perfect. Because what's in the green box is perfect. And what's in the green box is all those gifts and more. 
And that green box, that gift, is the gift of Christianity. And it needs no additions. It needs no subtractions. Because it's perfect. And God gave it to you. And it is perfect. So if you have all these free gifts as part of Christianity, why don't you have what you want in your life? Why don't you have the job you want? Why don't you have the circumstance that you want? Why don't you have the environment that you want? The real question we have to answer for ourselves is, what are we willing to let God do through us with the gifts of hope that he gives us? What are we willing to let God do through us with the gifts of hope that he gives us? The Greek word for hope is elpis. It means absolute confidence. And here is what God wants his believers to know. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. That's you. You are the heir of what was promised. And God the Father wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to you heirs of the promise. And he confirmed it with an oath. When God makes an oath, it's not an oath. When you make an oath, (laughs) yeah, right, it's never going to happen. When you make a vow, yeah, right, it's never going to happen. When God makes an oath, it is absolutely going to happen. Hebrews 6.18, God did this. He made this oath by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. That's one of the unchangeable things. It's impossible for God to lie, and he never will lie because there's no lie in him, only truth. Plus God's guarantee and oath, that's the second unchangeable thing. When he makes an oath, when he makes a promise, he fulfills it. That's why the Jews are never going to be destroyed, even though there are so many people on the earth who would like to see that happen. It will never happen because God made five oaths to Abraham that will absolutely be fulfilled. God did this so that we who have fled from where? From the slave market of sin to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And that hope is firm and secure. All these gifts are an anchor for our soul. What does an anchor do? It gives us a firm, secure, steadfast foundation that locks us into a place. God is a harbor. And as believers in Christ, we have dropped our soul's anchor in him. In him, we have hope. Let's take advantage of it. Let's not come short of that hope. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder to anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The Lord Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you, his creature, his creation. And he wants a relationship so badly 
that he was willing to die for you. But here's the question. How often do you think about eternal things? You know, we think about sports all the time. Those of us who are into sports, we think about whatever our hobby or avocation is all the time. As human beings, we tend to be concerned only with the here and now, the things that busy us, the things that are temporary. Yet nobody gets out of this life alive. So there are questions about the afterlife, as people call it, the things that happen when we die, the things eternal. And again, I ask you, how often do you think about eternal things? Well, the Bible tells us that God's enemy, Satan, deceives us into being short-sighted. Satan diverts our focus to temporary things so that we don't prepare for the eternal things. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns us, Be sober of spirit and be on the alert, because the adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. For example, the Bible tells us how easy it is to be deceived by material wealth a problem that pervaded the church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, the Lord says to the Laodicean believers, it is, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, know your deeds, that you, like the water in your homes, are neither cold nor hot. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, wish that you were cold or hot. Make a decision. Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm like the water in your homes and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The Lord is not fond of self-deception. Revelation 3.17, because you Laodicean believers say I am rich and have become materially wealthy and I have no need of anything, you don't know that you're spiritually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3.18, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become spiritually rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves unlike the black wool that gave you the material wealth so that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I advise you to buy from me eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Material wealth often blinds us to our spiritual poverty. We think only about now and not about eternity. What is it that the Lord wants us to see? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one master and he will love the other master, or he will be devoted to one master and he will despise the other master. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Lord wants us to see that he is the way to get to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Once you realize that you can't buy your way into heaven, the only other way to get to heaven is by means of God's grace, which is free of charge. John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. 
I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ's grace gift of salvation, his grace gift of eternal life saves you. And as a result of the Lord's work on the cross, the work that paid for the sins of all mankind, including yours, sin was eliminated as a barrier between you and God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin payment on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with him. You can ask God the Father to credit your account with real wealth, spiritual wealth, his own righteousness, his own perfection, your admission ticket to heaven. God the Father will honor your request when you ask for his righteousness and you will be saved. He'll download the tickets and you can put them in your Apple wallet. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36 warns what happens if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. Just tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Now is the time to think about eternal things. God wants you, and real wealth happens when you decide to have a relationship with him. Well, let's close with music. Faith, hope, and love abide in the sphere of these three, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We always give thanks to God the Father for all of you, making mention of all of you in our prayers constantly keeping in mind all of your work of faith and all of your labor of unconditional love and all of your perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father during prayer. We know that love is the greatest of these three, faith, hope, and love. But as June Murphy says in song, there's just one hope, and his name is Jesus. One way to get to heaven One hope 
just one faith, one so great salvation. The Father's way to get to heaven is Jesus. Through God the Son, Jesus, He is the way, the only way. Christ paid for all sins with His death on the cross, was resurrected. So no one need be lost, His work is finished, there's nothing you need to Except believing in what he's done for you. There's just one hope. There's just one faith. Just one baptism. One Lord, one way to get to heaven. One hope. There's just one faith. One so great salvation. The Father's way to get to heaven is Jesus, through God the Son, Jesus, He is the way, the only way. God wants none to perish, He loves the world so, that whosoever can accept See what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's close with words of worship that acknowledge the magnificence of our Almighty God. Proverbs 3 5 says this Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will direct your path straight. Psalm 46 1 For God is our refuge and our strength 
a very present help in times of trouble. Isaiah 40:13 says, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not grow weary. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, you don't expect a lot from us. And that's an amazing thing. You don't see us as deficient. You take us exactly where we are. So help us to not see ourselves as deficient. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And help us to know that we are going to be the stars in our own movie because you make it so. Help us to know that there's nothing you can't do. Help us to know that the reason you pick the people that you put in the Bible to teach us with is because you wanted us to know that we don't have to be anything special for you to be able to succeed with us. So help us to open our spiritual eyes and see what you're doing with us. Help us to open our spiritual eyes so that we have absolute confidence in you. Help us to open our spiritual eyes so that we see others as more important than we see ourselves. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.